Ben, Trees and Non-Binary to another exciting episode of The Hostile Takeover, the weekly show where I, Adam, the user tinkerer, with a very special guest, talk about our favourite game, PC, tabletop and everything in between. For those of us listening in, thank you for choosing to listen to us through our Patreon support. Every patron has full access to extended and unedited episodes of every podcast we release here on the Fantastic Universes Network, as well as uh, advanced access to all of the written news reviews and interviews across popular culture and comics gamings and everything in between but for those who are not listening on patreon support we do encourage your full attention and appreciation and we appreciate all of you as further support and tears will be coming to the patreon very soon but in any case we're just grateful to have you listening with us as this is the second part of our ongoing tabletop experience extravaganza with a very dear friend and returning guest after our first jaunt with it we talked about our origins in the world of dungeons and dragons and ttrpg but now we're going to look into the worlds themselves but i can't talk about this on my own it'd be rather boring despite how much i like to talk so i've called back my dear friend founder and forger of aaron spencer productions se how are you today i'm wonderful as i mentioned earlier just sucking down this extra large iced coffee which i'm very excited about how are you friend oh i'm doing very well as of the as of the recording of this, I am hot and fresh from a uh, trip to the seaside with some dear university friends, people I played Dungeons and Dragons with that got me started on this wild and winding road that we are both part of. Um, teensy bit sunburnt, but that's nothing that time and uh, SPF can't fix. But eager to get back to the world, I spend far more time in my own setting and the Realm of Heaven's Fire alongside my world, the good realm of perdition and something called the First Gate, but I'm not sure i'm super allowed to talk about that just yet but worlds that we set our games in are as much a character and as much as the players themselves they're something i truly have a lot of pride and personal attention for but uh sure enough there are a lot of game masters that really appreciate the generated and very well produced uh adventure modules produced by wizards and various other uh, companies here and there but the worlds themselves are always very important, the settings of your story. But uh, what are your takes on this part of the GMA experience? Oh boy. Well, well, first of all, I didn't want to gloss that over. I saw the photo of, of the sea and it's beautiful. And that ties back into world building because I wanted to say that every world comes from something. Every homebrew world has some sort of inspiration. A lot of it is is very deep in our subconscious, but beautiful places like that, and also like the place where I grew up, Fairhaven, I actually modeled the first town in the Heaven's Fire world called Fair, the Fairhaven. And it's modeled after this idyllic cottage core town, very similar to where I grew up. And I think that so much of of what we do for world building is based off of that subconscious but there is so much that we could delve into as as far as world building itself it's just such a vast vast topic do you have anything specific that you want to go into as far as world building aspects that you had in nice. mind to kind of narrow it down because it's so vast and large uh, I think there's a lot of things to be said about like building the world because there's no right way and there's no easy way. Um, to quote uh, one of the greatest philosophers of the 21st century and a very attractive man, Brian David Gilbert, um, 
J.R.R. Tolkien did the world a disservice by making every fantasy writer think they need to go into the minutiae of every minute of their world. <laughs> Nobody cares about a king who lost a war 700 years ago. Personally, I love that kind of detail, but I love it when it's necessary. Uh, I pride myself, and this is a trade secret that if my players are listening to, uh, they'll be a little disappointed to hear that a lot of my world is very much procedurally generated, to borrow a video gaming term. Um, sure, the continents, political bodies, rough grand grand schemes of history are like set in stone in my own extensive writing, but a lot of what they will end up going to do will generate the world as they play it. I'm, I pride myself on my ability to improvise, so they will never really find the seams, but they are there, and I love that part of naturally and exploratorily sort of generating the world that way but um i think we'll again like with the last episode we'll start broad and then sort of zoom in so Perfect. you were talking about the beautiful cottages and little villages and townhouses outside of where you grew up and how that sort of morphed and twisted and fantasized into heaven's fire so what was the initial sort of building blocks and other sources of inspiration that sort of like came together and then where did the world because you said last episode it was a world you were writing stories around yes. for a very long time where did that all begin well first of all i want to go back to what you just said for a second and say that i think that's a really cool way of building a world about having it be procedurally generated and based off of what your characters do and that actually got my wheels turning to say well there's something very important about world building this is a personal philosophy of mine as someone who runs a community revolving around D&D. And I feel like you can relate to this is that I think that if I am going to get up on a soapbox just for a second, I will say that there is no wrong way to build a world. Very the way true. that I would build a world, the way that you build a world, the way that other streamers around our tier or mid-tier build a world, and the way that Matt Mercer builds a world. None of those ways to build worlds are correct or incorrect. It's everyone has the right and opportunity to create their own homebrew world how they see fit. And I think that's really important. And that's my soapbox moment <laughs> is just to say there is no right or wrong way to build a world. Build a world that that suits you as the creator. Build a world, build the world that you want to build. Follow your heart. And, and whatever passion drives you to create that world, how, whatever methods you use, follow that because you can't go wrong. With that wonderful, heartfelt message, we can sign <laughs> off here. Thank you for listening to us. I'll take over. Thank you, everybody. No, no, no. We, 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 yes. have, we have looked at how shiny and red the apple is. We have not begun to peel and eat its tastiness. So uh, circling yes. back, where did Heaven's yes. Fire come from, roughly? So, okay, so sipping off the soapbox, getting back into specifics. As I had said, it started from just the the very sort of idyllic cottage, you know, sort of suburban neighborhood where I grew up that has a lot of greenery and a lot of old Gothic architecture. The sea is five minutes uh, is a five minute walk from basically anywhere. And this is one of the things that we talked about is I remember being 11 years old at summer camp and my brother had just moved out and he was our DM. And I said, well, I have no more D&D in my life. I have no more AD&D, second edition. I'm going to have to create my own world. So I started with this small, little, self-contained island adventure 
when I was 11 or 12 at summer camp. I had one of my best friends at the time who unfortunately passed away um, in a tragic uh, accident, a tragic traffic accident, uh, who was actually going to be an NPC in Heaven's Fire uh, to honor his memory. But I remember sitting at the archery range <laughs> at summer camp, which is very fitting, and just sitting down and saying, let's play Dungeons and Dragons. Let's play my interpretation as an 11-year-old's interpretation of AD&D 2nd Edition, which was way far off the mark. But what was important was that we were trying and we had the basics, like the very basic concepts, which is counterproductive to advanced <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. But we did it anyway. We played anyway, and we made a mockery of the rule system. But we had so much fun building that world. And it was partly my vision for what I had pieced together from Conan the Adventurer, from the D&D games that we used to play with my brother, from shows like Mighty Max or King Arthur and the Knights of Justice, or just all of the all of my awareness of fantasy uh, from Arthurian legends, just everything that I had known as a kid, I just threw it all together in one sort of giant melting pot. And we started with this island. We're like, all right, let's start small. And we have a graveyard here, a, a cave that leads into the graveyard here, a mansion in the center of the island with an orc that is uh, a sorcerer. <laughs> And wearing a tuxedo or wearing a, you know, the sort of frilled 19th century attire. And he's reading a book. He's got a monocle. And uh, then you have the, the idyllic vista of the fair haven by the sea. And your whole mission is to stop this. And again, we're 11 years old. We're like, I don't know, a necromancer who's raising the dead from the graveyard. And that became just such, looking back on it now. It's such a classic D&D trope, even as a 34-year-old, looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, that that kind of checks out. It, it yeah. kind of tracks, you know, because you have, you start you start in a town, you start in a tavern, you have a blacksmith and a woodworker and a tailor, and the tavern with mead and turkey legs, and then you get a message from this orc, right, or from the the keeper of this abandoned mansion, right? That most of the townsfolk avoid. It's the wealthy noble. Turns out the wealthy noble had passed away many years ago and left everything to his servant, this half-orc who was taken from the wilds and raised to be this uh, sort of like the understudy to this wizard. And you have this half-orc wizard with the monocle and the frilled 19th century attire who tells you about there's something bigger happening in the world. Uh, and again, this is something from the mind of an 11-year-old. And it's so funny because it tracks now yeah. for the Heaven's Fire story. And it's just those, it's really a callback to those classic tropes. You know, like there's something big going on. The person who gives you the mission is the, is the person who is the, the unexpected quest giver. And it sort of turns your conception of things on its head. And then it's, okay, well, there's a necromancer, but the necromancer serves a higher power. And what is this higher power? And you travel into the cave underneath the graveyard, which is the dungeon, and you uncover the necromancer's secrets and find that he's working for something so much bigger. You fight the skeletons, you fight the zombies, 
you fight the necromancer and you're level three at that point. And then you take a ship off the island and you can explore little things here and there, like a mine in the, in the corner of the island. And there's spiders in the mine and maybe some some gnolls or something. And then there is maybe some some merfolk uh, in the northeast corner on, you know, on the beach and just little things like that that we just threw in there. And then you're off to the bigger adventures. And I just built on on that. But that was how that was how it started. Uh, reminds and, me of um yeah. From uh, it reminds me of the movie Prometheus. Uh, there's always like the, mo- the movie's okay at best, but there's always one quote from Michael Fassbender's character that I always uh, come remind myself, and just like I use as like a uh, like a words of personal power. Big things have small beginnings, and they're true in this case. They small beginnings, humble beginnings, because little kids around a table telling a story together. That's where stuff like this started. That's certainly where it started for Gargax back in the day. Um, and well, we were almost... we were technically sitting in dirt oh, well, <laughs> and sitting, in grass, which around... was great. To be honest, it's even better because I think I said yeah. briefly uh, in the last episode that um, tabletop RPG is what I still think is the most pure form of storytelling. Is because it's as close as you possibly get to our like very dome foreheaded and simple Cro-Magnon <laughs> yes. ancestors around a campfire when they had just found out what fire was. Them mm-hmm. telling stories about like spirits and their hunts, that's and all the strange things that could go to go on. That sort of very raw, honest storytelling of those people gathering together is very sincere and very powerful. So yes. people young with rich imaginations and the desires for adventure all coming together, it's exciting to see that I could lead on to something further and further still because with a little island you build like maybe the chain of islands maybe they're off the coast of this larger continent well what's the continent look like their countries what are the people that live there and that's the sort of natural side of world building into it you sort of ask yourself the necessary questions to fill in the rest of the world around what you what small thing you've created whereas when I got started I did somewhat the exact opposite I I got a very large piece of paper drew some squiggles for a very large continent some islands here some islands here some islands here some islands here and then i just looked took a step back and went okay now i need to fill this because i told you about my large friend from the north of england with the aviator girls yes he dropped out halfway through our education so there was a good point where dungeon dragon was on my periphery but that education thing dang got in the way but uh, one of the friends we played with approached me and had picked up all the books for himself and had said, would you like to run some games for us? And I said, sure, because I was studying literature and I had a foot into going into doing literature and creative writing as a degree. Uh, I then took that time away and drew that map and filled that world in it. And I made the initial adventure just the excuse for him and his two friends just to see as much of the world as humanly possible. I created this shady utopian government that had hired them to look into one of their members, but it was actually just a very large conspiracy to engineer war, but to like further usurp control for that utopian government across the colonies. You can tell that this was my like inspiration for like Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. coming into my own very jaded political po- political opinions. <laughs> 
But uh, that's neither here or there because we can take our own beliefs and then just either magnify them or shrink them down based on what we want to tell a story about. And that's the beauty of the world is that the world is usually neutral. It's the action of the players and the stories you want to tell that define what sort of adventures people go into. Well, it's it's funny you say that about squiggles, because yes, I had that very... It, it also seems like we both had very specific settings and stories in mind. But after that initial start with your squiggles and your previous experience with, I think, kind of the same group of people, and yeah. with me, with my friend being 11, sitting in the dirt at the archery range, world building this small island and theorizing the story that was going to come later, I had a dream one night because I have always, always, always been so engrossed in fantasies for as long as I can remember, whether it was Arthurian legends or Tolkien or King Arthur and the Knights of Justice and Mighty Max, you know, from being a very small, even, you know, earlier than 11. But all of that sort of came together. And, and again, with subconscious, I had a dream one night about this world that I had started when I was 11. And I had in this dream, I kind of saw this map, this whole map, this fantasy world that had all this political intrigue. And there was uh, these frigid reaches in the north and there was this empire in the west and something very Lord of the Rings in the east. And I think I had just finished watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy for the 20th time or something like that. And somebody had mentioned D&D, I think, the day before. So I had this dream about finally putting it all together. And when I woke up, the first thing I did was what some people call stream of consciousness. I flew out of bed and I grabbed like three pieces of paper. And then I started with the squiggles and tried to, to write down as much as I possibly could. And I think at that point, I had also just started playing World of Warcraft. Uh, I think it was circa Burning Crusade, and people were also talking about D&D, and we were all playing World of Warcraft just after launch or towards the end of Vanilla, and there was so much swirling around in my head. It was Lord of the Rings, World of Warcraft, and D&D, and I just did a stream of consciousness sketch, and most of it was squiggles, like you said, kind of the same technique, just doing the squiggles and then filling in bits and pieces from my subconscious. And just, I spent several hours that day just scrawling everything down on paper furiously, just whatever came to mind, I just put down on paper. And the end result was this huge world map with three continents, island chains, subcontinents, and I still have that. And to this day, that is how I've been making the Heaven's Fire maps on Incarnate, is I've been pulling out that three-page reference mm. that I drew when I was in my early 20s, I think. It was probably a, a more accurate timeline, if I'm remembering correctly, just after a couple of years after high school. So. Yep, my, my large A1 piece of paper with the good realm of mm. perdition on it mm -hmm. is in a scroll case downstairs. Uh, it's in a place where it should be. That piece of paper is uh, slowly starting to fall apart, which is breaking, <laughs> which yes. is breaking my heart. I need to put it onto Incarnate myself. Uh, I paid, for, I actually paid for premium on Incarnate because I think it's worth it. Same, I, absolutely, one hundred percent. We are not in any way sponsored or affiliated with Incarnate. However, yes. Incarnate, if you are listening, we love your product and we do. We we endorse your product quite heavily. Please, like, notice our senpai. Um, <laughs> exactly, I'm right there with you. Uh, but in any case, I do need to like get back on it and just like start 
porting over stuff because I have the idea of just like putting a world map but then zooming down into like the street level of some of my settings because mm-hmm. I know them that well. But in any case, I feel like we're united in the belief that maps are very important. But then again, I'm one of these people who finds maps like quite beautiful. Um, I've, I went to an exhibition a few years ago, back when the world was open, art galleries were a thing, where I saw oh, some yes. abstract paintings of um, cities done in co- completely in like um, block colours, just to show like districts and demographics and stuff. And it's super interesting to see that new American cities are very angular, very direct, wheel and spoke very clear but then you get stuff like damascus and jerusalem where it's like a squiggly mess it looks like a brain it's it's so interesting to see that there's that kind of natural evolution of things throughout time and it's that kind of false realism that i think a lot of world builders should strive for but also get kind of trapped by in a way so when you go to building your own worlds it's okay to recognize that it's important to feel like there's people living in where you're set in where you're writing about and what sort of stories you're telling but it's far more important to like circling back to how i like to play my games is good to procedurally generate your play so focusing on how you started with getting things going you focus on where the main action and adventure is going to be and then build around it as your story needs it um for my first friends when i wanted to take him on the grand tour of my setting this largely whole whole known world like the northern hemisphere of a planet um they passed from the capital city of this utopian government and then went to the next city along the along the explorer's road and passed by a coliseum where sometimes fights of the death had happened but sometimes but mostly not they had an encounter i had an encounter planned for them but then they said oh a coliseum are we going in Looked at the encounter notes. This could be in a Colosseum. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm also very aware that there would have been some GMs that I played with that even where they would say, "Oh no, it's close for renovation." Uh, oh, I don't think I don't think they'll take any just people off the street. They'll they'll curtail and choose to be rigid with their own paintings of the world as as opposed to letting the players sort of explore. I I'm very in favor of procedurally generating your world as things go. Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're saying this, and again, my my wheels are turning, which is I think we have this great dynamic where we seem to bounce off of each other, we which see, is perfect we, for this sort of format. Yeah, I feel like we're very similar people in our <laughs> gaming philosophies, which is makes me extra glad I brought you on to ramble about this stuff that we are so passionate about. <laughs> and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be modest here that we're both very good at. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, I'm gonna flip the Uno card and say no, you. Uh... <laughs> First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, 
and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogur. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not fuck bats. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this. Someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on fantastic universes. He's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Available on all your favorite podcast catchers. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. 
I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. What I've learned uh, after world building recently, as now I'm a little bit older, I'm a little bit more seasoned, I have a college you know, education, that sort of thing, which actually strangely worked out for being a dungeon master who does podcasts and who does a live stream because I, I, my two degrees are in communications and history. So that kind of worked out perfectly, otherwise useless, but perfect for this. But that being said, one thing that I realized with all of that taken into account, which has my history degree has certainly helped building more realistic worlds is that bigger is better usually, at least for me. And one specific uh, specific example, as I trip over my words there, one specific example of playtesting your material and getting people in there just to see how it works, because that's what we're doing right now. We're doing a Heaven's Fire playtest just to see what it feels like in the world. And one unique situation that came up from a random encounter table in the DMG was orphans who just pickpocketed the party and they chased them down an alley. And it was in that instant that I realized that the map that I had created was too small. It didn't make any sense. So I took that map after that situation. I, of course, described it as much bigger than it actually was, but I went back into Incarnate and I shrunk everything down to make the city at least two or three times its size. And I made the buildings a lot more compact and condensed. And now the updated map, though it looks similar and it has the same you know, wall structure on the outside, I just made the walls a little bit bigger, theoretically, which makes sense because it's a military city. And by making the buildings more condensed and by increasing the size of the city, it, it feels that much more lived in and that much more realistic. And like there's actually real people both thriving and suffering at the ground level and people who know the city who can duck in and out of different alleyways and weave in and out behind crates and, and debris and, and little landmarks that the orphans might know and you know holes and walls that they can duck into. And that just came from a random encounter table in the playtest. So playtesting is, is also important. But to your point about the Colosseum, there was another example in the same playtest, which again, important to playtest your worlds, even if it's just your, your best friends. In this situation, it's more peers and colleagues. But either way, best friends, family, playtest your material because you're going to learn so much. And in that situation on the central sort of subcontinent right the the main island uh, of mystical which is kind of like a, you know inspired by mystica from old D, but on the island of mystical there we're really the, the focus was the hidden shrine of tomochan which is was the center of what we were going to be doing where it's sort of taking a little module from yawning portal just dropping it in the middle of heaven's fire but also i and building a world around that, which is how I like to, to build worlds, inserting a couple of things from official material here and there, and then building around that to give to give it more meat, more, you know, more meat and bones. But I was expecting them to go right to the hidden shrine because that's where all of the blood cultists were. I also I heavily homebrewed that. We have basically the plot of Blade, the first movie, but in a medieval setting. So there's blood cultists in the center, and that's their main objective. But 
they were all looking at the battle map, talking to the commander at Fort Justinia on the coast. And commander, you know, did the whole stoic classic NPC thing of the choice is yours. You know, where do you go? And I think we were, I think both he and the the royal roughnecks and me as a a DM were expecting them to go to the big pyramid in the middle of the map next to all the crystals and where all the cultists have been congregating. But they collectively as a group were like, let's put that on pause and let's go explore the haunted ruins. Yep. As soon as you said, (laughs) I was expecting the players to, I knew they would be like, no, we're going to do some other thing. Look at all this, look at all this planning I've did, but, there's something over there. But, but look at all this planning I've did. Let's go over there. Yeah. The I see on Twitter. I follow a lot of um, TTRPG tags. I see a lot of the similar question of what is the best advice you could give as a game master. And I say game master loosely because I think this advice applies to every system under the sun. So if you're listening as a clip, <laughs> yep. as a clips plays GM as mm-hmm. a as a fake core storyteller, as a vampire, as a vampire storyteller, what have you. I think the best advice I could ever give a game master is plan everything, but plan nothing. Know the story and the setting well enough that you can angle your players back to what the story requires, but have it be open enough so that they are not punished for going off and doing something that you didn't prepare for. It's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult, but plan everything, but plan nothing. I love that so much. And and that immediately, that is kind of how my philosophy is in general. And again, why we're a perfect duo for this. Because that's exactly, yes, that's exactly what I did. I was, I knew enough of everything that was happening because I had planned in advance. I had planned for everything, but also planned for nothing, just like you said. So when they, there was something in the back of my mind that had said, okay, well, there, there's a possibility that they might just sort of wander off to any of these locations. So I had at least a bare minimum in the back of my mind. So when they said, let's go to the haunted ruins, I said, okay, I'll just need a quick five minutes to populate certain things in there, but that's fine. Cause I had prepared that in advance with preparing everything, having it in the back of my mind, having those resources and assets if I needed them. So when they went up there, in that moment, I had to do a little bit of improv. And I think this is where the improv part of being a DM comes in. It's not an all the time thing. But in that situation, I had a large pool of, of creatures that you could technically theoretically place in, in haunted ruins because it was something, again, knowing that there were haunted ruins, I had a whole sort of pool in my mind had to pull from. And I'm like, okay, so vampires, there's a vampire god that they're trying to resurrect which is part of the homebrew element that I added to Tamat Chan. There's a vampire god, the cultists are trying to resurrect, they're trying to uh, find these ancient secrets in the shrine, in the pyramid, in the temple. Uh, so what is going to be, what is going to fit in that situation? What's going to fit in that situation is going to be something related to vampires. So I dropped in whites and the vampire spawns and a vampire and they're, not strong enough to fight a vampire but i threw it in there and i found this really really cool art for it uh that you know was able to put in there as, as a token which is more for you know just the players but and then it turned into uh basically the lieutenant 
of the vampire who's trying to resurrect this uh, the vampire god, right? It's sort of the chosen, the chosen speaker. And I named him Deacon because I'm inspired by Blade. <laughs> Looks nothing like Deacon Frost, but that Deacon is just a cool name for a vampire. And also kind of a, a an homage to to the, the plot of Blade, which I think is fantastic. That's just me. But yeah. uh, And then you have this whole story that just stemmed from improv from having just a pool of things that you could throw in there from the players being like no we want to go here and then also like knowing kind of the, the bigger story and say okay well i'm gonna make this the lieutenant that is trying to bring his god back and they're gonna bump into him and he's gonna be too but he's gonna say this is below me and he's gonna wander off but that's gonna give them the opportunity to meet the unholy trinity which is these three adventurers that are trying to attain divinity that are kind of mysterious and uh, you know, traveling the world, and they're going to get to meet these endgame characters who are going to help them now. And it just, it stemmed and branched off in a thousand different directions just from the characters saying, I want to go here instead. This seems cool. Let's go check it out. And they were so happy. Let me tell you, they were so happy. They were like, I knew it was going to be vampires. <laughs> I knew it was going to be related. This, I'm so happy we went here. Ha ha, we found the secret. And they were so happy and thrilled and i'm thinking in my dm brain i'm sorry players if you're listening but i'm thinking like kind of just you know improv on the spot from a pool of stuff the the reason they were happy the reason they were happy (laughs) is because they were able to discover something and have cool heroic moments because of their own agency yes because there are so many railroady single-minded gms out there that would be like oh the you come across the haunted ruins and there's a row of gods saying that there's some sort of exorcism going on you can't enter and then you turn them back onto the plot that way would sort of be like oh, okay then they'll go on they would sort of slap on the wrist but they wouldn't really get any satisfaction out of it by knowing your world and by knowing the things that they could go and being prepared as you were by planning everything to have all of the other creatures they could run into but also planning nothing because you're not sold on the main plot that you had for them they were able to go off on their own adventure and find something so incredibly satisfying. And then you got the reward out of it of exploring your world a little bit more, creating this wonderful character and bringing everybody back in together. That ultimately is what this game's all about, which is why I will continue to return to it every single time. The joys of putting together the, uh, the world, whether you were counting on it or not, will always come back to you. And that's why it's so satisfying to get these moments and, it's not easy it is not easy because you can sink a lot of time into planning some of this stuff and as soon as they say oh we're gonna follow this npc i'm like because this actually happened in the session before last before the world closed for obvious reasons my players uh realized that they were being tricked by a shape-shifting villainous character who was working for the main orc warlord that's trying to besiege the base city the Mm -hmm. the black city of bellatan um they were able to just get a locate object of of the shapeshifters um, arcane focus just on the edge of their mm-hmm. locate object. And the sorcerer, I like that. Yep, and the sorcerer was like, "I'm going to follow them." Okay, that was the exact <laughs> cadence with which I answered that. I was like, mm-hmm. "Okay." <laughs> and then there. I then I said to myself. If the party follows, they're going to get to the war camp and they're going to meet everybody. And that's like five, seven, 12 sessions ahead of schedule. And then I just asked myself the best question ever. So? And then, okay, so they went off and met the, met the, mm-hmm. the first arcs, big bats. And I was like, 
well, that's not a big deal. Just led to some fairly frank talks, a bit of body horror, and some real big anime staring across the battlefield while voting. <laughs> it was it's actually really satisfying because um, yep. Yep. it's the first time ever in my writing that I've been able to use a, an evil twin without it feeling cliche, which I find quite satisfying. It also involves um, three of the four members of the party being deadbeat dads which I find really quite funny. Um, Renee, Sandy, if you're listening to this, and I sincerely hope you are, <laughs> um, excellent work. And yeah, that just set, that's going to continue to set the tone for the rest of the game, just bringing a lot of my plans ahead, which is always satisfying because we get to get to the cool stuff sooner. But it was all yes. down to their agency and the GM's wherewithal to know what the players can encounter just by taking a certain decision, but still having the confidence in yourself that you can let them have that decision because you know your world so well and you've planned everything around so well but in any case uh, I like the anime stare yeah well <laughs> it's either a case of just like the like the eye slits of just like either side of the screen mm -hmm. Street Fighter style or just that bit from the Weird Al song but he looks at me and I look at him I'll send it to you later it's it's bizarre but funny but, or the kill or the kill bill music Kill Bill music yeah, intensifies, <laughs> like yeah, the fun. siren music. Where... No, why was I thinking of? Yes. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That was the one. Yeah, nice. But still, um, I think the big takeaway we can advise any new or new or returning game masters out there is that when you build your world, you need to trust in your ability to create a very sturdy-looking facade, and then count on the rooms of the house being filled in as the players walk through it and trust yourself and trust in your players because as long as you have full cooperation and good people around you you can tell you can tell good stories we've talked quite a bit about how we game masters can build our worlds but i think it may be worth thinking next week well not next week in two weeks time how the players can fill the world with their characters their stories and their decisions perhaps it would be interesting to see uh how player agency and the the joys because I have this experience with my players that they will send me pages of backstories mm -hmm. and I will lap it up like it's like it's Christmas dinner. Mm -hmm. Like it's the best thing I've ever eaten. And they'll be like, I know I've sent you a lot and I'm sorry, but here it is. And I'm like, dude, no, shush. This is great. It's free material. I, it's, free it's, material. It, 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 it's free real estate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, free real, it's free real estate. And I love it. So when we get to two weeks time, we can talk about the player's decision in how they build their world and how they build their character and how that can influence the world that their characters will in inevitably inhabit. If that sounds cool. Yes, and I'm sure that we have our own stories as as players we do. who are also dungeon masters. Like really the do. time we accidentally summoned a death god five levels before we were supposed to have that interaction. <laughs> oh, lovely. Then if that's the case, I can probably talk about how my... my the time I was I had to skip a session for due to circumstances, mm -hmm. I came back and my warlock had clearly jumped one year in the future, was very aware <laughs> of the streams of time, and mm -hmm. was able to give them some very uh, helpful tips to be able to break into the vault under Waterdeep during Dragon Heist. That's actually a really fun module. I have nothing but good things to say yeah. about Dragon Heist. Yes. I uh, as a DM. Yeah, I notoriously don't play many modules, but uh, of the few that I have, that one was a, a delight. But 
that is something we can see glimpsed yes. into the future. As mm-hmm. for right now, it is time to see where these two game masters reside across the internet. So, Essie, my dear friend, where can our delightful listeners find you, your workings, and your musings? You can find any of the ESP content uh, on YouTube. We have VODs for all of our live streams as well as shorts. We are releasing a, a short today uh, called How Big Them Hands about the uh, our bard romancing the frost giant. <laughs> but you can find hands. that all. Yes, How Big Them Hands, <laughs> which is exactly how they said it. But you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash C, creator slash C slash ESP Aaron Spencer Productions, or if you Google ESP Aaron Spencer Productions, uh, or put it into the YouTube box, ESP Aaron Spencer Productions, or ESP D&D, either with the ampersand or the N, uh, it will come up on, on YouTube. You can also check us out on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash ESP Aaron Spencer, and that's Aaron with a Y, uh, which is uh, my first name. I picked it myself. Oh. Uh, ESP Aaron Spencer on Twitter. And you can also find us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPDND. And just like D&D Beyond, it's ESPDND with an N and not an percent if you're trying to find us on twitch.tv. So twitch.tv slash ESPDND. And we live stream every other Saturday at 9 p.m. We just had our live stream on the 14th. That was episode 11 of our Crystal Coven Chimera's Tomb of Annihilation X Homebrew campaign. And you can also find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, and Google Play uh, by searching ESP D&D. And that, and that spe- uh, specific situation, it is with an ampersand, but also I think the end will bring it up as well. So ESP D&D on those fine podcast platforms. And back to is it tinker i know you have a lot of promotion oh i do indeed a mixture of uh dungeons and dragons ttrpg stuff to promote as well as uh video game play written word about my various card games uh podcasts featuring comic book reviews and actually comic book reviews now i think but i make a lot of content for just generally talking to me follow me on twitter at is it tinker you'll find that in the links down below as well as all of Essie's links right here. You can find my written work about uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, to level up your game with monsters, spells, and other things for your five fifth edition games on the Apotheosis Studios blog. The PC and tabletop gaming news and reviews look to the founder and forger of this show, fantasticuniverses.com. Uh, do support our Patreon to get all of that news well in advance, as well as comic book news across Marvel, DC, and Kodansha look to uh runeterra ccg where you can find me doing deck techs on my favorite uh card game based in the world of the lead legends uh as for visual content look to twitch.tv forward slash is it tinker where i stream card games uh three days a week the hostile atmosphere on youtube for assorted pc let's plays with some dear university friends and no ordinary heroes on youtube for myself dungeon mastering games in the world we built together the good realm of perdition i'm certain i'm missing something but i'll cover it a little bit later but yes we have built worlds for our games but we will look a little later to see how those worlds are filled there's always something to think of in the world of tabletop gaming and it's uh down to a game master i deeply respect and one that has kindly agreed to talk with me consistently to help guide you through thank 
Thank you again for listening. And until next time, live free and play well. Bye, everybody.